We are back with another edition of Making Money. The financial coach, Ron Hebert, joins me. I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster. We both like to travel, Ron. We've, we've done a fair bit of traveling ourselves over the years. And often when you travel, well, almost always when you travel, you stay in a hotel. So we're going to take a look at the hotel industry. When you think about it, I mean, I just drive around in my city here, and I see the number of hotel rooms, and I think, who stays in these places? <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's really true. And uh, if you look at occupancy rates, you know, in Europe, the average occupancy is 72%. In Asia, it's 69%. In Americas, that includes Canada and the U.S., it's 65%. So 65% is more than enough um, occupancy to allow these guys to do to do well. And, you know, the last couple of years I've noticed is that when I travel, it used to be if I went to Europe, we'd hop in a car and, and drive, and toward the end of the day, I'd pull out my phone and call someone up and book a place to stay. And I never had problems getting rooms. And now, unless you're booking in many places, months in advance, you're not going to get any place to stay. I've even found a couple of years ago traveling across the prairies. You'd go to a small town and the two motels or hotels there would be booked up with a shooting tournament or a baseball tournament or something going on. And there was just no way to get a room. So um, when you see many places where it's it's hard to get rooms and they have 100% occupancy, um, you know, you realize that the last couple of years... People have um, started traveling. Of, people have started people traveling have started, again. Yeah. Yeah, and this is, a, this is a great trend for the lodging and resort industry. And so that's why we thought we'd talk about it today. We've tried to cover on shows, especially in the last year, some of the sectors that I call stealth sectors. They're sectors of the economy that are actually huge. In fact, in 2019, the global hotel and resort industry generated $1.5 trillion in sales. You know, that's a huge number. There's 187,000 hotels. There's 17.5 million guest rooms globally. You know, and the industry uh, over the next couple of years is expected to grow at 7% per annum. You know, so this is a big industry, and that's why we thought we'd try, along with some of the other topics that we've been looking at, to give listeners a little bit of an idea of some of these stealth sectors that, you know, they don't get a lot of press. But you'll see some of the returns that this sector has been able to to turn out, and that actually they've been quite mouthwatering. You know, I have a good friend whose wife is in the hotel industry. She's she's a manager, and she books conferences. Every time I talk to her, how are things going? Oh, I can't believe how busy we are. It's just crazy. And uh, conferences have sure picked up, especially after you know COVID, and that's as you pointed out, Gord, that's one of been been that's been one of the big drivers of the industry is that people have been cooped up uh, in their home for three, three and a half years because of the pandemic, and they want to get out. They want to travel. They want to go to conferences, conventions, they want to have business trips. Uh, they want to go on recreational travel. They want to do a lot of these things. And of course, one of the direct beneficiaries of that certainly is the uh, hotel, motel, and resort industry. 
So now, those are the, some of the positives because of the, the amount of travel that's taking place. Excuse me, Ron, here, a little bit of a frog in my throat this morning. Uh, l- let's talk a little bit about, you know, you have to look at this in a different way because the world has changed so much during the pandemic. We think about video conferencing and Zoom calls. Is that going to have an impact on them? It certainly will have an, an impact on them because, frankly, many corporate budgets are still tight. And as a result, you're seeing more video conferencing, which has reduced demand for business travel. And, of course, with business travel, you often get upgrades. You know, they come to the hotel, they stay in a nice room with a suite so they can they can entertain people. If there's uh, restaurants attached, uh, they go and they, they, they entertain clients. Usually they, they run up a liquor tab, they order nice meals, and that is all really good for the um, hotel industry. But when you have tightening budgets, that certainly tays, takes, a, takes away from that. And, you know, uh, talking to some of the hotel owners, one of their biggest problems, besides just the, the, the squelch we've seen on some of the business travel with this video conferencing, is just lack of employees to fill positions. I mean, when we went to Hawaii in October, we stayed in a hotel in Vancouver, and we went down to the restaurant, and the restaurant was uh, closed. But the uh, the owner was there, and he was uh, he was cleaning up. And I asked him, I said, "How come you're closed? I mean, it's a it's a busy weekday night. I think it was a Thursday or Friday night." And he said, "Well, I, we just can't get employees." He said, "I there, there's just no way I can I can." You know, to staff this place, I need a cook. I need uh, someone on the front desk to, to to show people. I need someone to to bus people. I need prep people. I need chefs. I need all these things. And he said, you know, really, if 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 I need eight or nine employees to run this place profitably, and I've got three, then we're running around. We're missing things. Uh, people are sitting there for hours before they get their food. They're having. Uh, bad experience. They don't bother coming back. And he said, you know, it's just cheaper for me to, to shut it down when I don't have staff. And you see that all over the place. You know, it's been a very, very difficult the last few years because, frankly, most people don't want to do those type of jobs. I think Airbnb must have had an effect here, too, although Airbnb has had its struggles of late, too. I've heard that you know, a lot of people that have Airbnb properties are putting them up for sale. Yeah, legislation has changed in a lot of communities where they don't want Airbnbs in just because of the traffic, the noise. Um, Also, uh, Airbnb uh, used to be a lot more competitive than it is today. Uh, Airbnb is still very competitive on longer stays, but you you look at some of the, the single nights and then you add the separate cleaning fee in, and often it takes away the price advantage. And typically, if you're like, if I go for business, I, I tend to stay as close as I possibly can to where I need to be. Well, generally, there's not a lot of Airbnbs in these areas because it's commercial. They're out, you know, in the burbs someplace, which means that you've got to drive both ways. And to, to pay an uncompetitive rate to stay miles away from where you need to be, it sort of takes away from the advantage that... Uh, they, they used to have. And of course, the zoning is making it very difficult in a lot of communities. I know in Vancouver, um, 
where I've uh, one of my my wife's uh, sisters runs uh, an Airbnb management business where when people buy properties and they want to put them into Airbnb, uh, she looks after the bookings, the cleaning, and all this stuff. And uh, she's finding it difficult, as you say, because so many of the owners are putting their places up for sale because the areas are being rezoned, so they can't have Airbnb. So if they want to do it, um, you know, they've got, they run the risk of being fined. And, of course, uh, if you run an Airbnb in a neighborhood and neighbors don't like you, well, they're going to be the first to report you. And I, I, I get a feeling, too, Ron, that just plain economics right now is a part of this. Uh, my wife and I were recently away, and we were down in Mexico and, and staying at a place. And I noted, like we've stayed there before, I noted that there seemed to be fewer people, and especially American travelers. And I, I think this is my thinking on it. I think part of that is the, is the strengthening of the Mexican peso. The, you know, the Canadian dollar and the U.S. dollar have taken a big of a hit. Maybe people are just finding it too expensive to travel with interest rates where they are these days. What do you think about that? Well, I certainly know that talking to uh, some of the industry people in Hawaii and California, that's what they're saying. Some of the places in Hawaii, I mean, Hawaii has frankly just priced itself right out of the market where you're paying $500 a night uh, for not a very nice place to stay and you know the prices go up from there so you know hawaii's gotten to the point where people just aren't coming because they can't afford it they're going other places that are cheaper so you know uh pricing is and then inflation are certainly big problems as well and you know people have a smaller wallet um you know i notice when i go shopping for groceries uh people are bringing their coupons when you go to the till and you pay out, I'm seeing a lot more people pull out a coupon for this and a coupon for that and a coupon for this. You know, they're really having to watch their pennies because, you know, when you've had inflation rise over the last two years by over 10%, and in many areas, prices have gone up over 20%, you know, people are finding it hard. And, of course, travel is discretionary. And, um, you know, if you're going to go on a vacation and everything else is going to be squeezed, well, Vacations are one area where you try to do cheaper. Okay, so we've looked at some pros and cons of the hotel industry. Let's take a look at the players here, because there's a f- there are a few large groups, aren't there? Yeah, I think you look at a lot of these hotel chains, and you try to, you, you you tend to think of them as stand alone operations, but they're really not. Number one, <clears throat> I'm looking at is uh, Choice Hotels International. And these guys, their primary brands are Choice, Roadway, Quality, Radisson, Comfort, Econo Lodge, Sleep-Ins. You know, I've slept in a lot of them. And the, they're a big U.S. chain. The symbol is CHH. Uh, they trade in the U.S. And their five-year stock price gain, 56%. Second on the list is Marriott International, M-A-R, their big U.S. chain as well. Five-year stock price gain, 109%. Marriott is the largest hotel chain in the world. They have 100 or 1.4 million rooms in 130 countries. Huh. Uh, their brands include Ritz-Carlton, Renaissance, Delta, Weston, Starwood, Sherwood Courtyard by Marriott, and Marriott Hotels and Resorts. So uh, these guys are huge. And frankly, one of the reasons I'm looking at this industry 
is people are always asking, how can I invest internationally but buy companies that are more local because they're easier to trade? Uh, North American disclosure rules mean that they're highly transparent. You can see what they're doing. And you can look at these hotels like Marriott, for example, with a you know, 1.4 million rooms in 130 countries. This is truly an international player. Hilton is another name we all know. <laughs> yeah, Hilton Worldwide, uh, five-year stock gain, 160%. Uh, they're at both ends of the spectrum. They've got 6,500 properties worldwide. Uh, they own everything from the Waldorf Astoria and Conrad Hotels on the high end. Uh, to the mid-range, which is Hilton, Hampton, Doubletree, and Garden Inns. And 98% of their properties are third-party owned. In other words, most of these hotel chains don't own the physical bricks and mortar behind um, their operations. The managers, they, basically. Yeah, yeah. Th- these are franchise operations. And so what you like about them is their asset light. You know, they get good income by branding uh you know they 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 provide everything from towel services to because they're able to buy in such bulk things like shampoo and um soap and uh sewing kits (laughs) yeah bedding and linen and all this stuff and hotel signs you know it's much cheaper to have them come in than a third party so uh, that's what's made the industry a lot more attractive over the years. Usually these brands keep maybe one or two or, or maybe even a couple percent of all the properties so they can uh, have something they own that they can bring new procedures and practice on on their own properties before they distribute this uh, to uh, their franchisees. But, you know, 95 98% in most cases of these companies uh the properties they have are, are all franchised out to third-party owners. Intercontinental Hotel Group. I, I notice a couple of the brands in here I'm familiar with, but I don't know that name. Yeah, Intercontinental. is uh, A lot of people aren't uh, uh, aware of these guys because they're headquartered in Britain. The symbol is IHG. They actually trade on New York. Uh, their five-year stock price gain is 60%. And these guys own a lot of the uh, uh, the mid-range brands, you know, Intercontinental, Holiday Inn, Crown Plaza, Regent. You know, they're they're sort of upper middle, but they've got six thousand hotels in over a hundred countries. So, you know, they're a fairly uh, big name in uh, North America, but other places they're absolutely huge. Uh, I think Wyndham, a lot of people know that name. They sponsor golf events, and, well, you see the brand everywhere, it seems. Yeah, Wyndham has had a five-year stock price gain of 72%, and they own a lot of mid-tier uh, properties, including Super 8, Days In, Travel Lodge, Howard Johnson, La Quinta, Ramada, Wyndham. And, you know, they are another big name. You know, their franchise uh operations span 95 countries and uh they own and this is one of the companies actually that they they don't own any of their hotels or at least going through their financials i couldn't find that they own any hotels at all they franchise everything Hmm. 
And the last one on the list is a well-known name as well, Hyatt, right? Yeah, Hyatt's uh, pretty simple. They don't have a lot of sub-brands. Hyatt's a global player, and they typically operate under the Hyatt brand. And uh, the symbol is H, and the five-year stock price gain is 94%. So you look at all these these companies, and they've had pretty solid gains. It's just you have to understand how to trade them. Okay, so what's the strategy here? Obviously, this is, a, can we use the term cyclical area to invest in? That's a very good way of putting it, Gord. In other words, their profitability is highly dependent on the overall state of the economy. The economy is rocking. Um, their occupancy rate is up. They're doing better. When it falls, just the inverse happens. So you want to buy when the economy and this sector's uh, share price is in the tank and then wait for a recovery. Um, and what we'll do, I'm sure a lot of people are interested in Airbnb. And so what we'll do is we're going to have Airbnb included on another show with uh, that we're going to be doing on e-travel. So we'll have booking.com and we'll have um, Airbnb and some of the other online places you can go nowadays to book your travel. We're going to have a separate show on all of these guys. So uh, Airbnb is going to be covered. Okay, so there you go. The hospitality industry, hotels specifically, something to look at, but pay attention to what the economy is doing. And with those returns you mentioned, Ron, something like at 160% to 94%, is this maybe a good time to sort of sit back in the weeds and wait a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything has had uh, an amazing run uh, here in the last couple of months of 2023. And so as we go into 2024, you know, typically after RSP season's over, often you get a pullback in the market. And, you know, there's still indications that certainly in Canada we're in recession. Many countries in Europe are in recession. The United States might make a soft landing, but they might not. And typically when interest rates invert, in other words, long-term rates are lower than short-term rates, 10 out of the last 10 times that I've been able to see, um, when that happens, we end up having a recession and a bear market. So uh, these are the kind of, of stocks that you want to watch because if we go into a bear market, some of these could have some pretty appetizing gains coming out the other side if you're willing to buy low and then just be a little patient. All right, back again next week with another installment of Making Money and in, in we, you know, we talk about investing on this show. We're trying to do a little bit of investment uh, 101, if you will. And we're going to talk about how you build a financial team next week, aren't we? Absolutely. And most people, frankly, just don't have the skills to DIY. In other words, do it yourself. Maybe in some areas they do, but frankly, to get a broad brush uh, exposure where you get all your needs covered. It's important to find good people that you can depend on to give you good advice and also to be able to do so at a reasonable price so you're not uh, um, giving away all your profits in advice. So next week we're going to be talking about uh, building a financial team, and I think a lot of people, this will be a very worthwhile show to listen to because... uh, there's, like I say, there's areas that we all have expertise in, 
but there's areas that are just outside our wheelhouse, and you, you try to do things on your own, it can cost you a lot of money. All right, back next week with that edition of Making Money. Remember, if you have a question, you can reach us through our website, letsmakemoney.ca, or through cfcw.com, where the show is hosted on their portal. We're back again next week. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.